0: So Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is what we have been tracking through today so far. And remember we kind of started, well, at the end and looked at, well, the end in the text in verse 14 that tells you no longer be children. So we sort of outlined, we didn't get to all of it. I wish that we have, but we didn't get to all of the picture of immaturity and what that is. But we did recognize at least an urgent need to get away from spiritual immaturity. And then in what we discussed before lunch, we talked about the, the place that we're all headed to, so the final goal of the church. So we've kind of traced out these two points of a phase one spiritual infancy and then the church and its completion on, in the day of resurrection. And so now what we want to do is take a look at it in the meantime. How are we meant to get from this first stage of infancy? And we mentioned one of those things in the class period, well, a few of those things in the class period. But how does the text here in Ephesians 4, what does it encourage us to do in order to reach that kind of spiritual maturity? And we're going to see a few things in particular. But remember, this is going to be guided by the first part of the passage. And we've just had lunch. You might be a little bit tired. So what we're going to do is read the passage again to keep us in the text, uh, to keep everything fresh for us. So let's start in verse 11. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And you might have already noticed a few points here about how the church is meant to grow today. But to just recap from where we've been, we've started with the No Longer Children... We've looked at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ very briefly. And so this afternoon we want to talk about what it means to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you'll notice there's an emphasis in the text here on who is doing that. Who is equipping the saints to do the work? And we'll also note something here about, well, it's not just those groups who are equipping that are meant to actually do the work. It's their job is to equip everyone else so that we can all do the same kind of work together. But we'll get more to that in just a second. The first thing you'll notice is that Christ, in all of His wisdom, and the wisdom of God, what has He given to the church to make sure that the the church keeps tracking towards perfect maturity and completion? And you can probably come up with a hundred things in your head that, man, if, if God was going to give us something to take us to complete maturity... What, what kinds of things would He give us? How would He help us, encourage us to get on that track? And what kind of things would He give us to do? And the fact of the matter is, He's already equipped us with the things that we need as a church to reach that goal that we saw earlier this morning. He's given us everything we need to equip us to begin living out these realities now, in part, as much as we are able, awaiting full completion at the resurrection and the first thing that god has given to us here today is the apostles and the prophets now we won't spend too much time talking about maybe the prophets in the new testament church but you can read in 1 corinthians chapter 12 that there were some spiritual gifts in the early church and prophecy was one of them what exactly that was we don't have time to discuss but we do know that these miraculous gifts of the spirit seem to have gone out with the apostles who passed along those gifts by the laying on of hands. And when that generation had left the earth, so too did some of these miraculous gifts. So we're operating on that assumption this morning. But the apostles and the prophets are absolutely relevant to the church today. So if you want to flip over to Acts chapter 2, you'll see what the church is doing right there in verse 42. This is the first big group of believers all together. And it says what they're doing is devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. So notice the apostles' teachings are guiding the early church community there, and the apostles' teachings are certainly still guiding the church today in Scripture. We have those in written form in the New Testament, the teachings of the apostles. In 2 Peter chapter 1.21, you read about the prophecy in the Old Testament, and no prophet spoke by his own intuition or understanding, but he only spoke as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we still have the prophets today. We have the Old Testament prophets today. But in Hebrews chapter 4, this is the passage, that I want to spend a little bit of time discussing as we consider what it is the apostles and prophets can do in the church today. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 4, and let's really start in verse 11. I know the screen says verse 12, but we're going to start in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that none may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And you'll remember this morning we discussed the Israelites that are rejected from the promised land you're going to have the writer of Hebrews saying, we need to be careful that we don't fall because of the same type of disobedience. And look what he says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Scripture is a light to guide our way, as you read in Psalm 119, in the sense that it shows us the path before us and it's our guide. It tells us where to go. But Scripture is also our lamp in the sense that it illuminates for us our own shortcomings. It very clearly illuminates for us the places we have to grow. And if we are not in the practice of continued reading of Scripture, how are we supposed to recognize whether or not our actions and attitudes are in keeping with the will of God? So if we're not continuing to grow in knowledge of the will of God, if we're not staying in the Word of God, we're missing out on the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God, but we're also missing out on finding those areas in our lives where we really need Growth. In Hebrews, remember, the writer of Hebrews is discussing an Old Testament story. He's reliving the Old Testament story of the Israelites coming up next to the promised land and they're denied access. And when he says they didn't get to enter the rest in the verse that we read, the rest is the promised land. So we have this story from the Old Testament and we all know, likely many of us here know, verses 12 and 13, about the word of God being living and active. That's just not a statement that Paul makes. He is illustrating that right there in Hebrews when he makes the point. He's showing you, look at what the Hebrews did in the Old Testament. Look at what the Israelites did, how they slipped away from this slow progression towards faithfulness to God. Don't do the same thing while the promise of entering the rest remains that we read earlier this morning. Make sure that you enter into the rest. And the word of God that has revealed this to us, by the way, it is living it's active. It's still speaking to people today and changing our hearts and minds, or at least if we're reading it, if we are engaged in our readings of Scripture. Make no mistake, we cannot, we cannot grow in maturity, in unity of faith, in unity of knowledge of the Son of God if we are not regularly allowing the teachings of the apostles and prophets to lead us there. After all, Christ gave the apostles and prophets for this particular purpose. Another passage that's not on the screen, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn over there, we read something else about what the Word of God can do in the life of a Christian. Let's look in verse 16. All scripture is is breathed out by God. So it comes directly from God. Even though these human writers are writing it, this is the will of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this might not surprise you in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete. Or mature. Or perfect it's the same term that we've been looking at all morning this morning so the word of god is able to lead us to completion it's able to lead us to maturity but it will not if we are not submitting to the words of the apostles and the prophets so we have the apostles and the prophets we also have the shepherds and quite obviously to us this is going to be the elders in the church And when we think of these roles in the church, we think of the elders, we think of, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, the evangelists and even the teachers in the church. Typically, we think of their roles to serve a certain function and they solve these particular problems and they keep us moving. But I don't know how often we stop to reflect on the fact that it's God himself who gave us these people and these offices in our churches to lead us to these places. So as we think of our relationship to the elders in our churches, to our evangelists in our churches, to the teachers in our churches, we need to be recognizing that these roles in the church are actually pretty sacred roles because they're given by God himself. They're ordained by God himself. And as we talk particularly about our shepherds, and we know that we have been instructed to submit to the elders, to obey the elders, to be reverent to the elders, all these sorts of things. It's not just because that's a good thing morally that you should do. It's because of who they are and what their goals are for the church and where it is they are leading us. They are leading us more and more into this kind of maturity and completion. Now, the role of an elder is a is a discussion that certainly is worth its uh, own uh, three-session Victory Sunday, so we cannot get into all of that stuff today. But a few things that we can recognize... My screen went out back there, so I'm going to have to keep turning around. Sorry. A few things that we can recognize from the passages that are listed here. Shepherds are intended in Hebrews 13:17 primarily to keep watch over the souls of those in the church. In 1 Peter 5... Thank you very much for turning that back on. In 1 Peter 5... They're called to be an example for the rest of us. And in Acts 20, you read a lot about what it is elders are meant to do there. They are to teach sound doctrine, to protect against false teachings, and to help the weak. And all these things our elders are doing to lead us more deeply into Christ so that we can be united in faith, so that we can be more united in that knowledge of the Son of God and so that we might be filled with the fullness of Christ as we're reaching towards the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And for this reason, I believe that every Christian, where well, we are blessed to enjoy the leadership of godly men as elders. There doesn't need to be a day go by that we are not thankful for the work of these men and their families. Their charge is a strong one, is a difficult one because many times working with folks in the church you don't see quite as many opportunities for well let's say you don't see quite as much spiritual maturity as you might would like to see on a day to day basis but these men in prayerful submission to God themselves are leading us closer and closer to Christ so as we read that Well, we're headed for this place. We want to get out of spiritual maturity. What things can I do? Maybe your immediate response is, okay, I need to set up a reading plan or I need to set up a prayer plan. Yes, by the way, we should be doing those things. Or I need to set up this and this and this. A very real way we can do this is by yielding to the leadership of our elders because that is what God has placed them here for. That's why He has given them to the church. So what a great blessing it is to be at a congregation like Asheville Road, where we have godly men leading us closer to Christ. Are our elders in the church perfect? No. Well, I guess maybe it depends on who you ask. Uh, I'm sure if you asked Miss Sharon, she'd say yes, at least one of them is perfect. Are they perfect? No, but they are godly men leading us closer and closer to Christ. So that is something we should be Thankful for, and a great way to begin that process. And maybe it's not as intellectually stimulating for some people to give you like a goal and say get uh, do these things, but certainly this is in the text here. A great way to reach spiritual maturity or to keep growing in spiritual maturity is to yield to the leadership of the elders because of what their role is in the church. Likewise, we have the evangelists. So let's go over to Titus chapter three. Is the evangelists are called to do. Like the elders, the evangelists are meant to teach sound doctrine, and they are called to be an example in 1 Timothy 4.12. But what you might notice in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3, and I'm not going to read all of these now. These are more meant for you to reference as we talk. Notice what it is the evangelist is doing. Paul is instructing Titus, who's most likely a young man, certainly that he's left on this island of Crete that you can read uh, in chapter 1, verse 5, he's left Titus there to put things into order. So the things that are lacking to fill up. So again, with our discussion today, to complete the things that are incomplete. And Titus is the one that's encouraging that. He's not functioning, perhaps, as a shepherd. He's functioning in a different role. But as you see in especially in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, his main job is to remind the people of some things they already know and to instruct them in the ways of God. Yes, they're also called to help the weak and to be in prayer for the members of the church, but it seems that their primary responsibility is to remind us and to instruct us about how to live in the ways of God. So again... If we want to talk about how can we grow in maturity, here's two very simple things you can do today. One thing is to yield to the leadership of your elders. The second thing is to yield to the teachings of the evangelist. And just like with the elders, what a great blessing it is in our lives to have godly men like this in the church. And specifically at Asheville Road as we think about well the leadership quite frankly Drew that you offer to the church here Drew does not work as an elder he does many things that certainly the elders do and caring for the members here but Drew does have a special responsibility in these ways and what a blessing it is in the life of any christian to be involved at a church where you have a godly man serving as an evangelist what a great blessing a blessing that we too often, quite frankly, that we too often take for granted. and we too often take for granted. So as we continue to grow in faith, may we yield to our godly elders. May we yield to men who are godly serving in the role as an evangelist. That we might be more mature in Christ tomorrow than we are today. And that leads us to the teachers. So we have the shepherds, the evangelists, the teachers. The teachers are meant to do many of the same things that the evangelist is as well. Something I find very interesting, though, if you want to flip over to James chapter 3 and keep your finger there, and then also refer back to Hebrews 5, which is a passage that we've looked at already today. This is a good mental exercise, maybe to wake us up in the afternoon after lunch. And it's raining outside. This is really not uh, setting us up for success this afternoon. But take a look at James chapter 3 and verse 1. You probably know what he says there. Not many of you should become teachers, because we know that those who are teachers will incur stricter judgment. And then what we read in Hebrews chapter 5. Do you remember what we read earlier today? For by this time, many of you should have become teachers. (laughs) You should have become teachers, but you didn't, because you have not reached that level of maturity yet. So James on the one hand warns us and says, well, not many of you should become teachers because you know you are now representing the will of God and you don't want to get that wrong. So you better make sure if you're going to represent the will of God that you are well versed. You've read the word of God a lot. And maybe you've talked to other you've grown in the word of God yourself before you just start loose cannon flying out there saying God said this. Maybe when he didn't actually say that, which is a problem with many Old Testament prophets, the ones in particular that Jeremiah will prophesy against. But we do find in Hebrews that we are called, and he doesn't say in Hebrews 5 actually, he doesn't say some of you should have become teachers, he says you, he just plain old you plural. You should be teachers by now, but you're not. You still need the milk and not the solid food. So the, the mental exercise here, to, the thing to think about is these two seemingly conflicting ideas then not many of us should become teachers, but we should absolutely become teachers. (laughs) What do we do with this? Well, one explanation in Hebrews 5 would certainly be to to become teachers, to be teachers, we're all reaching for a certain level of spiritual maturity, right? And that's what he says in Hebrews 5 and in the verses following beginning in chapter 6. And you can read that certainly this afternoon on your own time to get a deeper study into what's happening here. But the writer of Hebrews is clearly unhappy with his audience because many of them are slowly drifting away. They're not allowing the Word of God to be living and active in their life in the sense that it is piercing right to their heart, showing them the things that they've never realized they've been doing before unless they had read in the Scripture and allowed the Scriptures to touch their heart. And here he seems to be upset with them because, well, many of them, quite frankly, should have grown by now. They should have grown to a point where they could also be assisting with the shepherds and the evangelists in teaching the church and how to live in God's will, but many of them had not. So, as we think about moving forward towards complete maturity and moving away from immaturity, we yield to godly men as elders, we yield uh, to the teachings of godly men as evangelists, we also yield to the Word of God, well, basically, wherever it's taught, wherever it is taught. And we strive to be teachers. We strive to be teachers, or at least capable of teaching the Word of God. Capable of teaching the Word of God, what I mean by that is we are able to have an intelligent conversation about someone, about the things that we believe and why we believe them. We are able, like the Scriptures say, to give a reasonable defense for the faith that we hold. It is not a question of intelligence. It is not a question of how well we are able to speak. It is not a question of how good we are in front of people. It is a question of how deeply convicted we are about our faith. And whether or not we're, we are equipped to speak to others about the faith. And that leads to very, a very important consideration. As we saw in our passage in Hebrews, the strength... Of any class that we sit in on at the church the strength of any sermon that we listen to does not lie in the ability of that teacher or speaker to speak publicly whether or not a lesson we hear is enriching and engaging and leading us deeper to Christ has absolutely nothing to do with the way that the speaker presents the message to us it has everything to do with the content of what it is that we're that we're preaching and that we're teaching. If it is the word of God, have we reached a place in the church where it's not enough to have the word of God to get us engaged and to get us growing? What we need is the word of God plus that teacher I like. What we need is the word of God plus somebody that, that engages me the way I prefer to be engaged sitting in the pew. There are Christians across the planet on the other side of the world who in the last 24 hours, and indeed maybe even right now, are gathering in secret in very small groups in rooms where maybe even all the lights are turned off because their meeting has to be in secret. Otherwise, they'll be carried off to prison. And the only thing bringing them there is God. Their devotion to God, in fact, they're risking everything they have, by showing up to pray to God and to read Scripture. Risking everything they have for that. Many times we have a hard time, especially on a day like today maybe, we have a hard time just getting out of bed for prayer and Scripture. When there are Christians on the other side of the world who will risk their entire life well-being, and in some cases, indeed, their lives. There are churches in China today that when you convert and you are baptized, you are required to sign a statement of faith when you are baptized. And this statement says, I am willing to lose my property and lose my life if necessary for the cause of Christ. What do you think would happen to our attendance numbers if churches in the United States something like that? And certainly I'm not suggesting that this is something we have to do as a church, but it is certainly worth thinking about. The Scriptures do seem to expect us to be willing uh, willing to give up these sorts of things. The Scriptures expect God Himself indeed seems to expect us to approach the Word of God looking to have our hearts pierced and our minds and actions guided by His own will. Not by His will plus the teachers that we like, or the evangelists that we like, or the elders that we like. It's not about our preferences, it's about the Word of God. And if our, if our devotion at any local church is to God Himself and to growing in His Word, how many of our smaller issues might be resolved? How many of our complaints against Well, a certain class or a certain sermon or certain speakers maybe that come in for the summer series and that sort of thing. Because I know nobody's complaining about Drew. And if uh, you are, then we've got other problems we need to talk about. But how many of those little gripes would go away? If we were here to listen to the word of God and not to be entertained by somebody standing up in front of us. What if we were here to actually learn and grow? Then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. How many of our gripes and complaints will go away if we are truly submitting ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God? The final thing that we have here is that each part is meant to grow together by speaking the truth in love. So let's go back to our, pa- our passage in Ephesians 4. We've already seen that these groups are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So an important thing to recognize is it's not just the elders and the ministers and the teachers that are required to do the work of ministry. It is the job of the elders, the ministers, and the teachers to equip all of us to do the work of ministry, to equip all of us to build up the body of Christ. It's something that we are all engaged in. And if we keep reading in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And you can see on the screen 1 Corinthians 12. This might remind you of the imagery that uses there in speaking of the church as a body. And he tells you, well, if the whole body is just one particular part of the body, then where's, like, there, you don't have the rest of it. You just have that one part. There's, so in the church, all of us are given the same spirit that you read there, especially in verse 13. You're baptized into one body and you're given the same spirit to drink. We all have, we are all united in Christ with the same spirit, but we might have different roles in the church. We might have different places to serve. Some of us are elders, some of us are not. Some of us are ministers, some of us are not. But we need to be very clear on this point. Simply because we're not in one of these groups that were mentioned here in Ephesians 4.13 absolutely does not mean that we are not integral and necessary for the growth of the body. The body does not grow, and you don't have to be a medical expert to know this, the body is not growing in the right ways if even just one part of the body is out of whack. We say, well, somehow we're sick or there's a problem, there's an injury, something needs to be changed. We don't say, oh, well, this is just a normal, this is good. This is how the body should function. We say, no, 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 this is a problem. And then the church, the life of the church is the exact same. And this is Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 12. If just one part of the body... Even the parts that are considered to be more, well, uh, weaker. They're, they're weaker parts of the body. If one of those parts of the body is not functioning properly, then the whole body is not working together to grow itself up in love because each part is not working together. So this calls each one of us to a life of service in the church motivated by our love for God himself and by our convictions about living in the ways that He has called us to live. The church needs you. The church needs you. We don't often think of things that way. We very easily recognize that we need the church in some ways. We recognize that we need the church for continued spiritual growth. We recognize we need the church so that we can maybe stay firm in the faith and all these things we have talked about today, the reasons that we go to church. And we, we focus a lot on the personal benefits that we get from our congregations. And when the time comes, maybe as we consider our involvement with the church or when any number of an event might come up in the calendar and we start thinking through whether or not we're going to be involved in what the church is doing, we don't typically think of those types of opportunities with the idea that the church actually needs me. At best, that means we're humble, right? At the very best, that means we're being very humble. We're saying, oh, well, the church doesn't need me because, you know, the church is is bigger than me and it can function without me. But at worst, what we're doing is giving ourselves an excuse to not contribute to the growth of the church. And when just one of us, when just one of us is not contributing to the growth of the church, we're not accomplishing what Paul writes here in Ephesians 4. So as as we're thinking about fitting together for the entire year here at Asheville Road, a large part of fitting together depends on whether or not we actually believe that the church needs you as an individual to achieve the mission that the church has here on earth. Can the church here at Asheville Road achieve its mission without you? In one sense, yes, it can. The, The church can still reach the community, but it cannot reach it in as complete of a way as it could as if you were involved. So there's growth out there to be had that you're withholding from the congregation by choosing whether not to be involved or, or some things like that. And in the United States, I'm afraid, and I'm sure that many would agree, we have adopted an idea of consumer culture in the church. It's very easy, and this is why it's very easy to leave a given church service and start to list the things off that maybe we find to critique. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not up here just trying to uh, uh, build a defense around any critique of any worship service ever. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I do think sometimes our critiques, the nature of them, can reveal what's going on in our hearts about what we believe the nature of the church to be and how we're contributing to the church's continued growth. So consumer culture is the idea that, well... A business is going to try to give you a, prod, a product or like a restaurant's going to try to give you a meal or something, and they are catering to you. It is about you as the consumer. And you take it, and this particular thing is meant to either entertain you or fulfill you or you're supposed to eat it, whatever it might be. You're getting that particular product, and if you don't like it, you can send it back because you spent your money on it, and this was about you. This is about what you were looking for and what you wanted and what you needed. So it's very easy then. To roll into a local congregation, maybe let's say we're visiting uh, for the first time, looking for a place to get involved, or maybe we've been members there for our entire lives, sometimes it can be very easy to roll out and start picking, okay, well, uh, I like songs that are faster. And they didn't sing faster songs. Or I like songs that are slower. I like songs that are newer. I like songs that are older. I like preachers that preach this way. I like preachers that preach that way. I like PowerPoints that look like this. I like PowerPoints that look like that. I sat there too long. I didn't sit there long enough. All these types of complaints show, well, pretty obviously, that we're here because of what we are getting from the church. And we are not considering the fact that we are meant to actually contribute to the life and growth of the church. So if our goal is to contribute to the church, we will never have a day where we gather together with other members of the church and walk away upset because no one said hey to us. Because we understand, walking into that, that I am here for the growth in it, so I'm not going to let other people walk out without having a chance to talk to them. So the idea changes. And I believe that our consumer culture with church is revealed quite easily in a lot of ways. It's not a common phrase in the modern culture to hear, I will take Christ, but not the church. It's about me and my relationship to God. Do I really need a church Anyway, well, if you're living New Testament Christianity, yes, absolutely. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, you are baptized into his body. When we become believers, when we take that moment in baptism, that moment of commitment, where we are giving our life to him, it is not just between us and God, and that's it, and everybody else, who cares? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells you you are baptized into a body. And you have a responsibility to that body. All of us do. doesn't matter what our functions might be. We are all called to fulfill a function. And when we are not, the body is not working properly. It might still work, but it doesn't work properly so that it builds itself up in love. So we need to be recognizing a real responsibility, and to understand that the church actually needs you as an individual. The church needs you. So here we are this afternoon. It's about 1.15. We've been here for a long time today. We've spent a lot of time talking about maturity, immaturity, incomplete, complete, all these sorts of things. And now we're talking about this idea of what, how can we serve? Are we thinking about serving in the church? Are we thinking about consuming in the church? All of this stuff that we've been doing today, it can, it can be one of two things, right? It can either be a nice thing that we all got together to do and maybe have been partly entertaining, partly uh, stimulating. Maybe it's leading us to think about things deeply. But if, if this is as far as it goes, then I'm afraid that we're not, we're not living in the force of the text here. We are called now, I believe, to consider, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to serve my church? How am I going to serve the church so that we can grow up in love? Because I know we're headed, in the end, to this picture of the church for eternity to this unity of faith and unity of knowledge and maturity and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're looking to get back even to the garden as the full image of God, knowing all these things now, how am I going to contribute to the growth of this church? A church where Asheville Road is blessed with godly elders, evangelists, and teachers. What will you do with those great resources to grow up the body so that it builds itself up together in love? And that's not a question that we can answer in here during a sermon. That's a question that will be answered in our hearts and in our lives in the days and weeks moving forward. I've been thrilled to be here with you today. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is a passage that is close to my heart, and I hope that it is a passage that is close to your heart today as well. We extended the invitation earlier today, but we're going to extend it again this afternoon. If you are here this morning, and you can look back on your recent history as being involved in the local church, whether you're visiting today from out of town or whether you're a member here at Asheville Road, As we consider our contributions to the growth of the church and our attitudes towards the work of the church, if there's an area in which you need growth, that you can benefit from the prayers of the church, then why not not take the opportunity to have the church pray for you this afternoon? Or again, if you have not made that commitment to Christ, that holds you together to the people of the church, then why would you wait? I'm sorry to tell you that there's, there's nothing else in life. Sorry, I got you the invitation song too quick. I'm sorry to tell you that there's nothing else in life that can fulfill you. Uh, we can search in other places like we mentioned this morning, but they're simply the treasures of the earth that will decay, they will pass away. They're not the substance of actual life. The only place you can find that is in Christ. And if that's not yours here today, then what are you waiting on? If you know that Jesus is the Son of God, and you know that He died to save you from your sin, and you know that you have to respond to Him in loving obedience, faithful loving obedience, then why would you wait? There's water here behind me. What's keeping you from being baptized? But again, if you need the prayers of the church, please let the church fulfill its mission and its purpose to bear your burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If there's anything you need, we hope that you'll come now as we sing together.